I was just doing the theme song. Welcome to the final episode of season four, the Richfield Branch Library Podcast. Richfield Library Podcast is a conversational podcast between Kat, Christina, and myself, and we work at the Richfield Library in Richfield, Ohio. If you were to pull up a chair behind the work desk, these are the conversations you would hear about the books we are reading and what kind of reactions, such as inspiration or delight, or yes, sometimes frustration or absolute bafflement over how this book got published. We never bring the same thing, so we hope you are here for the discovery of something interesting for your next read. That is our goal, book discovery. So let's introduce ourselves. My name is Jen. I'm the teen librarian and branch manager here at the library. Let's see, we're getting on a holiday. We've had our first snow, and I'm really excited, and it was really hard to pick my final selection. I know, right? Yeah, Yeah, me too. All season, it felt like I couldn't barely keep up, and then somehow for this last one, I was like, I have so many books I didn't talk about this season. Like, what was I saving? (laughs) saving them for? So yeah, I'm Christina. I'm a PSA here at Richfield, and yeah, I have did more reading than I realized this fall, so... It's exciting. And I'm Kat. I'm the adult services librarian here at Richfield, and I did as much reading as I expected this <laughs> fall because I have a holds list problem, um, and I made a mistake. So little library fun fact, you can suspend your holds, but when you have like 40 holds, I recommend not suspending them all for the same day. Oh. <laughs> so that was, they all sort of came in in a rush. Um, but yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good reading year. There's been a lot of great stuff that's come out this year. So it's hard to believe we're already done with season four. Yeah, for real. I agree. Yeah, I tackled some of my to-be-read pile, so I felt a little sense of accomplishment, though Goodreads has reminded me that I'm still five books behind my reading goal for the year. Next year, I will adjust it. and not be so ambitious because I'm going crazy. Yeah, but then oh. you're adding books at the same time, right? So have we really made progress? Uh-huh. I sort of feel like we're just all on a treadmill that is the shape of a book. And we're like, I read 20 books. And then it's like, yeah, but you added 35. Oh, so yes. is, this really, is this really progress? I did trim my list. I got rid of stuff at, that's been on the list for like three years. I'm like, you're not going to get Isn't that nice to go back yeah. and like, I actually don't want to read this yeah, anymore. I don't want to read that anymore. But and Christina, you talked to me into lowering my goal for the year because I was ambush, ambitious. And I'm glad you did because I'm still struggling to reach this new goal that, so it was 120 or 125. I can't remember. 100, I'm going to say 120. Okay. I'm going to, just in case. And I'm still five books behind. Okay. But that's doable. It's, do, it's doable. But so what do I do next year? That's the thing. Do I do 120? Oh, right. Do I do 100? Yeah, because for years I set a goal of 50, and I'd get to like 40, and I, I couldn't quite get to 50. And then one year I set 40, and I blew past it. So now I'm like more of like, I'll adjust it. Because the idea is just to like push yourself to read more. Yes. So I yes. try to like keep with the spirit of the thing, which is, yeah, that's unreal. Like in January, you don't know how the year's going to pan out, so... In my mind, by like a check-in in like summer, and then a check-in in like October, and I'm, I'm I adjust my goal a lot. Oh, okay, interesting. Now I'm up to eighty because of the podcast. Yeah, I'm consistently I can set seventy-five and below past it. And you're in school, so, so you're reading yes, those. but I count my textbooks, and I count JE books when I process picture books that I like. Mm. I only add the ones I like. I don't. <laughs> add everyone that I read I only add ones Cheater. that I like <laughs> I have a picture book list going oh so that's kind of fun it's really helpful when I need to buy books for my nieces oh there you go all right so okay I so know. it's useful but yeah I I wouldn't I would say probably 10 10 books a year of minor picture books so 20 extra books from the podcast so is it good to versus set what I was I reading say. before I think so it pushes you yes. to read stuff you normally wouldn't. Yeah. 
I and I feel like I, it pushes me to read a yeah to finish things because I also want to like count it yes <laughs> I don't want to count it if I didn't finish it exactly so I'll be like yeah I would tend to honestly like when books get good is sometimes when I lose momentum because I don't want to finish it <laughs> so it's good to be like nope finish it mm-hmm. move to the next one so do you have a reading goal Kat as much as possible what is your reading goal do you have a is it I don't I don't really goal it out I just read a lot like a couple well the goal is a book every other day usually but you sometimes it's more like two a day I read I read a lot 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 lot. like and weird stuff too like yesterday I couldn't figure out how I suddenly got into collected letters again it was very weird I hadn't been doing um poetry extensively and then I don't know what pushed me in that direction but suddenly I went from like romance to collected letters to diaries through poems, and I was, like, trying to figure out how that happened. I still have no idea at all. That's so yes. fun. Yes, but, I, I, but it is, like, a bit of pressure in the brain. I've started photographing my book stacks because I've discovered when I have too many on-the-holds lists, suspended or yes. not, I get overwhelmed. Yep. And so I just photograph the spines of books. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and oh. I'm restricting myself to how many I – I'm trying to restrict myself, I should say, to how many – I actually read in a week, which is like 10. So it's like max 10. And then I've also, okay, I've also stopped forcing myself to finish. I've decided that life is too short, and if you don't like it, mm-hmm. let it go. Because why? You could be reading something that brings you, well, in my case, I like to read books that make me ball my eyes out. So it brings you intense drama, <laughs> I guess. No. Um, I've just, yeah, I've let stuff go. If I don't like it, mm. Yep. That's funny. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. tend to let stuff go much earlier than I used to. Yes. If it doesn't grab me in the first. I think it's the high school English class thing oh, of like you had to read certain things. <laughs> Shakespeare. That made you really <laughs> unhappy. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Except for Titus Andronicus, which is completely crazy. I love it. It's crazy. So much going on. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, why do I do this? I'm not in school anymore. I don't need to finish this book. It's not like I'm going to be flunked. I'll be flunked in the class of life, perhaps. Although perseverance. I will say, <laughs> I did just finish Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Mm. And Tomorrow? Is there four Tomorrows? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> By Gabrielle Zavin? Yeah. And I had started that in August, and, and I was it. like, no, this is not for me. And I don't know why I cycled back to it. Oh my goodness, it was really good. Okay, you gave me like the greatest mean review of that book ever. You saw it on my desk and you just like went off and I was like, wow, intense feelings about this. I really, I came out strong with Subject matter, oh my God. (laughs) Sometimes it did feel like age pandering. Mm. Like, um, I don't, like the whole time I kept thinking, it's just weird when someone fictionalizes something that you lived through. So it just, it feels a little off. We're at that age now. Yeah. We're at that age. It was very weird to, yeah. I didn't realize how much a fiction was like, not about me. Yeah. (laughs) It really brings home why Nora Ephron was so, is so irritated, or was so irritated in films when like people would have like a film set in the 40s or 50s that had takeout. She's like, takeout didn't exist back then. Right. It's just like, she's like, just like no one knew about wine. Well, someone did obviously somewhere, but not us. And it's just this really funny essay about how when you live through it. It's like when my grandmother gets irritated, hmm. and she has this hmm thing. And I'm like, I, what? Yeah. And she's like, that is not how the buttons were done. And I'm like, oh, that's not that's how the buttons were done. Okay. Yeah, it's weird because it feels like going back in time mm-hmm. to something you already lived through. <gasps> but then this? you have the perspective of yeah. now, which makes it uncomfortable. It's yes. like if it's fictionalized right at that moment, so you don't have the perspective, then you it mm-hmm. is like a time capsule. But to be like, you know, we don't really have perspective yet it's only yes. been like 20 years because it's about like we game. have perspective it's only been 20 years so now you're, <laughs> you know you're right yeah like, i know what you mean it's not yeah. like 60 years yes. of perspective it's like it's still f- fresh enough that yes. our current evaluations feel a little humiliating weak. yes mm-hmm. but it's got to start somewhere mm-hmm. i guess it's like people designing games and they're, so they're playing games in the 80s and 90s and then designing games at like early 2000s and it's just a little bit like 
like the like it'd be like if your kids that in high school were dressing up as like 2005 the way that we used to be like 80s party yes like that's so oh. weird I never thought about how absolutely weird mm-hmm. like I can love the 80s in a way that only someone who really wasn't there for it <laughs> <laughs> can love it like if, oh that's so weird to think about yeah costumes of 2008 like yeah. uh, mm, I don't know it was weird yeah the early it 2000s also were not friendly in fashion <laughs> Yeah, it, it feels like weird, how weird yeah, how can you parody in cartoon something that was like iPod commercials? Like I don't I don't know. Like yeah, what was the style? I don't know. The yeah, the, mm, yes. I I think of the early the early 2000s especially in a very specific way. It's like not yeah. quite the 90s, not quite. Right. Yeah. Oh god, so, now I have bye 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 stuck in my head. Yeah. No. So it was a little bit it was a little bit uncomfortable at first, but it definitely pulled me in, and it's a different kind of, it's really, a, it's a friendship more than a romance, but it's written like a romance. Was it nostalgic? Yeah. Oh. But I would say, hang in there. Okay. It's worth it. Okay, now I want to read that one. I don't remember the early 2000s at all. <laughs> I don't, I'm like, best. what was the fashion? What was going on? What was I'm, the music? Just be glad you weren't in high school then. I'm not even joking. I shred photographs of myself. And I'm so glad. I feel so bad for modern people or modern teens. Because as we all know, the digital world is forever. You might think you erased those bad pictures off your parents' phone, but no, they're probably in the cloud. Whereas we had photographs and negatives easily disposed of in a shredder. Right. I yeah, deleted everything from like 99 to late 2005 and then the box disappeared I think my mom was on to me gotta go back and find those other ones but yes I destroyed all the fashion evidence (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) yeah like my first cell phone was probably 2005 or six flip phones oh golly so yeah so like you can still have scenes where characters go missing you know like yes god I missed that yeah it's just weird I don't know it's weird because it feels older but then you're like oh no I guess that checks out I don't know it's weird I don't even remember I just wow I just know I guess there was we, recession and the library levy failed and that's all anyone who was at the library remembers uh, that's all I can like point we failed reference. a levy 20 years ago <laughs> yeah and that was shocking about. it was just so shocking <laughs> so so that's where my I don't even know what I was doing you're listening to an iPod I didn't have an iPod. Those Bop were expensive. I had a Zen, a Walmart Zen, I think they oh, were Zoom? called. Z- began with a Z. I still have it. Zoom. You should put it in the display. I should. Yeah, it was It was a total knockoff. What movie did I just watch? That I needed like three CDs just to like upload the software. That they were something about Zooms. Creative Zen. Creative Zen? It was like... They were making fun of, like, the idea of, like, an alternate universe and Zune was the one that took off. I don't know. It was funny. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get to what we read. really into her This Zune. is a great conversation. This is a perfect example of the conversations we have at the desk. You have just seriously sat through one. Yeah. Sorry. Read. No, I wasn't going to talk tomorrow about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow because it's still so fresh. I mean, I just finished it last night. So I was like, I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'm still thinking about it. Well, and here we are. Here we are. And yet here we are. And here yes. we are. <laughs> well, so I'm I, dying to... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I'm dying to hear what everyone has read for their final episode. I'm talking about two books today. Strangers to Ourselves and I'm Glad My Mom Died. But I will get to that next. First. I love that cover. <laughs> this, no, this that, one? the one you're holding. Strangers to Ourselves? Stop putting the other one up. You want to hold the other oh. one. But yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Uh, black text on white and then it looks like someone just came through and like smeared the text a little bit yeah I like the cover too Um, it's Strange to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds and the Stories That Make Us by Rachel Aviv and she's a writer for New Yorker and she's been doing really thoughtful profiles of women who survive assault and just very thoughtful of you know, it's really kind of this, like, trust women 
but like not in like a cutesy mantra way. Like she really is just coming at the story of like, why would someone act erratically after a traumatic event and just kind of going through the profile, actually taking them seriously. And it kind of underscores how we don't really do like even articles that are supposedly siding with women are kind of quite every little thing that they do after something. They're like, aha, is this, you know, are you lying because of this? Are you lying because of that? And she's just like, here's their account of what happened. And it, is chilling because it's really relatable um so yeah she also talks a lot about the slipperiness of memory Mm. so that she she does this um she does that with mental illness in this book and it's really it's really well done it's you know what would it look like to take people's experiences seriously um and so you you really just feel like each chapter is a different profile and you just really it's amazing how you can relate to this on the surface. It seems like this behavior that you couldn't really relate to. And she just takes you through their account of it. And you're like, okay, I see. Maybe I wouldn't have made that decision, but I see how they ended up where they ended up. Um, So I think that's like really important. And it's just very, it's like just a very quiet, I don't know, taking people seriously that we don't usually take seriously. It's kind of What made you pick it up or how did you find it? Um, well, I really, I did really like the cover. Okay. So I added it to my Goodreads list. And did then, you know what it was about when you saw the cover? Because I no, never would have guessed that. No, okay. I didn't. Um, but then I started, I had read a couple of her essays in The New Yorker in a row. And I was like, what else has this woman written? Because she's just a fantastic writer. And then I was like, oh, that's that book I keep seeing. <laughs> so that's how I picked it up. And it was really a fast read. It's like 250 pages, but it just, they just, each essay just draws you in. There's like six essays. Um, and she starts with her own account of, she was diagnosed with anorexia as a really young kid, like really, really young. And so, and they, she has to go to this like weird therapy and basically her parents eventually just pull her out because they think it's kind of training her to be more anorexic, like because she's in with these older girls and they're like, they have more eating disorder behavior and like her she's so young it's really a control issue and she you know she's like was like I forget how old five or eight or something she's like it probably would have just gone away if people had just ignored it for a little bit yes but now I got sucked into this whole thing and it's became like this whole thing so she starts off with her own story and ends with her own story and just basically kind of talking about the way that a lot of our systems are not set up for people's actual experiences and just all the weird ways that those interactions can be like things that are designed to help you are actively harming these people. So it, yeah, it's, it's really well done. It's just very thought provoking and super relatable of like, you know, mental illness is definitely one of these things we tend to think of as like a binary and it's nice to just be like, no, we all have weird instincts and, and some people, you know, sometimes it might be circumstance why you would follow a weirder instinct and why you would be, you know, like, I don't know, just a really empathetic meditation on like fragility and humanity and super well-researched. She's just a really great writer. So I would very much recommend Strangers to Ourselves. It is, it is a little unsettling, but it's also, I don't know, it's totally worth it. <laughs> um, and then kind of in the same vein, I got really lucky. I got a um, Skip the Line copy of uh, the, audio, the e-audiobook, uh, I'm Glad My Mom Died, by Jeanette McCurdy. And super popular right now Mm -hmm. so I was very excited to get to read it already um and that so that's why I keep stroking the cover I I was gonna say that cover (laughs) I the cover is so hilarious she's holding she's in this like little pink pantsuit and she's holding a pink urn and she's making the funniest face in the world and yeah definitely the title originally put me off but the picture kept drawing me in and the and the 
font and then it's um, very 19 like 60s late 60s she looks like a jackie o type of pink <laughs> suit yeah <laughs> yeah it's very it's a it's a really fun cover <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah so she was a child star she was a nickelodeon star she was on iCarly, which oh yeah i actually didn't watch so I didn't know her from that but um (laughs) it sounds like she didn't really want to be a a child actor at all her mom really pushed her into it and her mom oh my goodness yeah it's amazing because the whole time you can tell how deeply she loves her mother even though her mother is ridiculous and actually abusive as she, she kind of she honestly doesn't go into that very much she only kind of touches on like oh yeah it was like so much worse even than i'm getting into it's it's like for the for as irreverent as the title is the it's she's honestly too generous with her mom throughout the book um but like the whole time she wants to be a writer so i'm so proud of her She's a writer now. Um, it's getting a lot of critical acclaim. It's very exciting. But yeah, she it's it's pretty much like the you know what we joke about showbiz kids being put through with their parents. It's like a thousand and ten percent. It's really horrible. I I don't know. Like a lot of this stuff lately, it's like mm, should we be putting kids through this? Oh. But like, can you imagine like entertainment if we didn't like you didn't have children in roles that would be weird but the alternative is children in this industry like the children working and like it depends on your caregiving circle yeah yeah like there's a really interesting comment in alan rickman's diaries which is actually ironically one of the books i'm going to talk about where he talks about daniel radcliffe's parents and it's like this very offhand comment about how they're very caring and supportive and it's very interesting like how it really like I am, I'm glad my mom died. About whose dream is it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. parent, and how we've seen the repercussions of parents pushing their unfulfilled dreams and trauma onto their children, right? Or caregivers doing that as well. Yeah, and also the stuff that she went through, just in terms of the um, predatory structure of Nickelodeon. Well, that's yeah. to me. I'm like, you know, it seems like yeah, it's possible to have really stellar parents and a kid that just was born wanting to perform, but it seems like nine times out of ten that is not the case. And even if it is kind of driven by the kid, I can't imagine most parents, if they weren't themselves in show business, would know how to navigate some of the pressure that mm-hmm. you know the networks put on them to. I don't know. So like, she gets she gets the. Um, reputation of being easy to work with and that becomes like its own curse because she's just forever in supporting roles and she gets a ton of roles but yeah the whole thing is like on the one she's like trying to please her mom and then trying to please the network and it's a lot of that similar Mm. kind of building your identity when you're way too young to even know any different of just trying to build an identity around pleasing people is just so horrible so it's sort of amazing she survived yeah it is it's really interesting to see what the title does too for memoirs is I think it's so interesting when people write about their lives like some of the commentary on the title people were just like oh my god so disrespectful to her mother and it's like have you read this book because (laughs) the minute you start you yeah it's very it's totally put in a way that it's like I don't think she's being serious. It's I think she is being serious. Well, Sue and I think that's what is really complicated about the book is that she's both serious but not serious. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's in a way that she's not sitting there with the knife, holding the knife, right? Yeah, (laughs) you know. Yeah, it's not. I killed my mom. Yeah, but no, it's It's yeah, it's uncomfortable. Like she still loves her, but she she needed to go away for her to be free. Kind just like even as an adult the hold that this woman had on her it's but I oh my goodness so many of the like the little showbiz things of like and just having to always put on a smile and always perform was very relatable but it she's she's hilarious she's a great writer and there's like a joy to it that I just really appreciated 
it's just like you know even even ruminating on like I get to have a writing career kind of because I have this you know like it's it's such a complicated yes it you know like yeah like she recognizes that it did a lot for her but at the same time you know the cost of it was just much higher than than anyone wanted to admit so and the weirdness of a lot of the kind of like the Britney Spears thing where your family ends up relying on you financially like your whole extended family it's such a mess like why it does seem like we could do a better job of protecting these kids but it's interesting too how like it's show business is like a heightened version of our expectations for women especially just in everyday life like the look perfect weigh this much like this this career easy to work with like all of those things it's just interesting to me how show business is like the showing the extreme of that but really it's very relatable in everyday life our expectations yeah she talks about her her character like apparently loves to eat it's like the defining one of the defining traits of her character and she's never allowed to eat mm-hmm. <laughs> so like people like come up and be like yeah and like want to hold food up in a photo with her <laughs> she's not allowed to eat what? it's just so ridiculous so yeah it's 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 really but it's particularly well written and nice short chapters so that's always really fun you can pick it up and put it down easy nice so yeah those are my those are my two your final two yeah um i am forever for foraging for ideas and inspiration and aha moments and i'm getting ready to well i was when i was reading this um planning my um next batch of programming and Kat had me thinking because the park had called and they said what can what can you do as a teen librarian in the park Um, but I came across this book in my to be read pile and it's called slow looking the art and practice of learning through observation and by Shari Tishman and I got it through Ohio link so it is a little bit of an academic book Um, and the first half reads very fast and fun and it has great ideas and the second half if you want to skip it it's all about the supporting like this is what we did in the history of education this is what we've done in the history of science this is why it supports it so so the first half was very fun so slow looking in art means that you go to a museum and you may um be asked to sit for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and just look at a painting. And your um, tour guide will just prompt you and say, make a list of five things that you noticed and, and say them out loud. And you can say something like, you know, wow, I could, I could tell on the horizon there's a storm coming just by the different different colors of grays and blues used in the clouds. And then someone else will say, the woman's eyes are like turned away. What does that mean? What does that signify? And then you might get to the point where someone says, oh my gosh, I think there's fish in the water. Yeah, so it makes you st- stop, pause, look, uh, and you just keep going that. What, what, are, what are some other things you notice? What are some other things? And you just really dive into the painting. And then you might even get into like, I could see the brush strokes. I could see um, the bristle from the brush, like a little bit of hair in the painting is in the brush, is in the, you know, the paint. So that's what they want you to do. They want you to slow down. Your goal is not to go to museum and get museum legs and, and what that. It's just to go and maybe observe five or 10 paintings and really appreciate that and really look and really slow down. So they're using this in education. They do a lot of this with um, adult education and when students come through, and you know, make a list of five things, make a list of five things, and then you share, share two questions you have about this painting. What are two things you're pondering or wondering about this, this painting? And it really, I really like how it causes you to slow down. Um, so this book also brings up things like slow journalism, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, and that is just really immersing yourself in the moment with your subjects. So for example, um, they use this one 
Um, it's like eight, what is it called? Eight mile, eight, one, what, one in eight million. Wow, I really slaughtered that one. One in eight million. So it's um, the, it's um, documents the unhurried inside lives of everyday New Yorkers and you just interview them and, and really get yourself into their stories of everyday people. It reminds me of Humans of New York. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that, like you really spend time with one subject and you really immerse yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your life story? And I'm here to listen. And that's another thing. It's like stop and listen. Don't interrupt. Stop and listen. Right. So I Don't really... Don't go in thinking you already know the story. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's just amazing. So then you surface all these things about people. And it, I just think it brings you closer to people. It brings you down and away from your screen. And it brings you, shoves you back into the everyday. So I was thinking about this book. I think this is what I want to do. Um, I sort of did it with my nature journals. But I think this is what I want to do with the, at the park. I want to do like slow nature walks, slow observations, slow journaling. Mm. So um, she talks about this one program called Out of Eden. And um, it's like a classroom setting. And um, they tell the students, go out into your neighborhood, conduct interviews, listen to your neighbor's stories, um, explore the connections of your neighbors and the connections they have with your communities and the wider world. And then they, they post their work on an on a online platform and they share their perspectives. And then people, and then other students respond. They ask two questions, you know. And I, I think that's really cool how they're just diving into everyday people and everyday things and really looking closely to everything around you and, and taking notice. And she, she argues like this isn't exactly like mindfulness. This is just being, being present. There's no meditative quality. We're not after some state of mind. We just, I just want you to be present and observe the beauty around you. So I like that. So that was my first book I'm gonna share. And then the other one is called The Art of Creative Thinking. And it's by Rod Judkins. And uh, the full title is The Art of Creative Thinking, 89 Ways to See Things Differently. And I have a colleague, John. John and I are trying to start a um, staff book discussion. <laughs> and um, it's not, we're struggling to get it off the ground. I want to use this book at our next book discussion. And I want to create cards because there's literally 89 ways to think differently and I would put out the cards out to the you know who come to this book club and say pick pick your five pick your three pick two pick whatever that are speaking to you and um, let's have a conversation about those and that's what Neon Carrot did when when I went over they they said you know um, they had inspirational quotes out and they said which ones gravitate which ones are you gravitating towards and why and it was just so neat because then that's how I got to learn the people invited at this dinner. Like, this is the quote that I'm inspired by. This is why. And usually there's a story behind it, right? So then they dived into their family history or something that they're working on. Um, uh, maybe uh, uh, how, they how, how they rose through work, through some sort of inspirational creative project that they did. And it was just so neat because I wouldn't have learned this about Toby who was there, you know, I wouldn't have learned these about Heather, but the inspirational quotes really got us talking in a much different way than just, so tell us about yourself. What do you mm. do? That's you interesting. Know. Yeah. So I think what I want to do is um, grow up without growing old. And it talks about Georgia O'Keeffe was like 50 before she really started gaining popularity. She wasn't popular at 18. You know, she was so it's like, it's okay because I'm about to hit 50, so I'm like, good, cool. Right, yeah. <laughs> there's, still, there's still a chance that I could do something. No, um, here. Um, what's the other one? Leave an impression. And it talks about how the Vietnam Memorial, um, people didn't think it was all that great but on paper, but when yeah. it was built and the impression, and so just 
how she left an impression. Um, so it just, he, he takes these prompts and then he, he justifies a, behind a creative person or, and a story behind it. Put the right things in the wrong place. So he talks, this is my favorite, he talks about Bill Gates like to transfer employees to completely different departments and see what new ideas might be conjured. Um, sometimes they produce something, but sometimes they produce nothing. So, you know, and I was thinking, what could we do in the library world to like shake things up right. or twist people around and, yeah. and just to shake things up a bit? I really, I really like that. So I think this is one of the books we want, I want to use for my, um, for that book discussion and just see what people are attracted to, what prompts they gravitate towards, and then the stories that they tell based on those. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to leave with this one. This is the one I'm going to, um, um, after we sign off today, I'll be reading this. Um, it's called Saving Main Street, Small Businesses in the Time of COVID. It, it sounds like this is a lot like slow journalism, but um, oh, the author is Gary Rivlin, and what he did is, um, and he's a pri Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, so which I did not know when I picked this up. But what he did is he traveled around um, Pennsylvania, so this is the section closest to New York and New Jersey, very close to um, Scranton. So we have, um, who are some, some towns in here, like Old Forge, Laceyville, Canton, Hazeltown, and he just talks about how these small businesses were struggling before COVID, and then when COVID hit, what happened? And it's just, I, I read the first two stories. One was about a, a restaurant, uh, a small town restaurant, Italian restaurant, how the owners like barely made a paycheck. They were just surviving to pay their employees. And then right before COVID hit, they were they're like, we're finally coming out of it. We're finally hitting our stride. Maybe we can give our employees benefits like a 401k. It, you know, maybe we could start taking care of our employees better and, um, and taking care of ourselves too. Maybe we can start a 401k yeah. and then COVID hit. And, and so it's just heartbreaking how people toil and really, you know, work down to the knuckles just to survive that's what I love about these stories. They're small towns, 6,000, 30,000. Every, everyone is trying to survive, you know, blue collar, white collar. They're, they're working at Amazon. You know, the people that live in town are working at the Amazon Fulfillment Center, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone is just living day by day. And then you have these small businesses trying to just compete. And it's just so far, it's, his storytelling is amazing. And I'm only like page 20 in. So this is what I'm going to leave you with. So this is what I'm reading as I sign off today. Oh, nice. So, so highly recommended just 20 pages in. All righty. So I am doing biography and then published diaries because I am fascinated by how people represent themselves, primary source, and then how, well, some living people have biographies written of them, but let's say for people who have passed on, um, how you are left to interpretation by other people, which I find very interesting. Because I think I've mentioned in a previous episode that one of my favorite biographies to come out in the last few years is Red Comet, which is the really incredibly comprehensive biography of Sylvia Plath and very fascinating because, fascinating because it takes into account so many primary sources that other biographers didn't have access to. And it just is really interesting how you can recon reconstruct someone's life and of course, I've also mentioned how much I worry that, you know, we all text and email. So how are we going to be represented? Say anyone wanted to write a biography of us. So the first one I'm going to talk about is by Miranda Seymour. And it's called, I Used to Live Here Once, The Haunted Life of Jean Reese. And I really like Jean Reese. Um, some of you may have read her classic, classic book, which is Wide Sargasso Sea. It is the perspective of Bertha Antoinetta Mason, Rochester's first wife, considered the madwoman in the attic, um, in Jane Eyre. And she became very famous when she wrote it. She was 76 when it was published, um, which is quite interesting. But she also was a, a quite prolific writer before that with a huge amount of output, but she was had a very tumultuous life. She's a very fascinating, complicated 
um, woman. Um, she also wrote just a few other ones, like one was Quartet and also Voyage in the Dark, maybe the one that other people have heard of the most. That was one of her first. So Reese really kind of deliberately tried to, um, how, how would you say it? She, she kind of deliberately, I don't know, de- destroyed so much as red herringed or was deliberately vague or switched events and timelines. Like her real name actually isn't Jean Reese. She created all these diversions because she really was quite against, I think, the idea of someone writing a biography of her or delving too much into her personal life. What? Yes, she was a, a fascinating, fascinating woman. Um, and so there, this biography is interesting to me because I personally find it beautifully written. Um, however, there are rave reviews for it and also a New York Times book review, Pan. And I personally have, as I've read the book, found the pan misguided hmm. I'm, because it, they were the critique was that the author was projecting too much on Therese, yet I felt that what the author, the, sorry, the biographer was doing was actually pulling things out of Reese's biography that I think people struggle to see the depth of. Like, for example, Reese was a very beautiful woman and very beautiful child, and the way that her father treated her and how she was kind of paraded around in front of her his friends and um one particular case of of harassment and potential abuse by one of those men um is put into the biography and I felt that she the biographer raised these issues in the context of Reese's life um and it makes the biography deeper but I, I felt maybe the pan came from this person felt that it was superficial but I was like not really super but she has to extrapolate a lot because Reese destroyed or deliberately obscured, you know, a lot of things in her biography. So some of the things in the book come from her autobiography, Smile, Please, because the photographer said, Smile, Please, you know, when she had to take a photograph. So anyway, I'm fascinated by this book in general because I find Jean Reese very fascinating and an incredible writer, but also fascinated because she has no say, right? She's gone. Mm-hmm. And even during her life, she tried to control what kind of say people would have if they wrote about her. But it's interesting when we destroy or just don't keep or let things fall away, you become defined by the remnants or defined by people's last impression of you. And so is it not better? Like in the case of Sylvia Plath, Sylvia Plath is difficult to write about, but the archival evidence is so vast. I mean, her mother kept like everything she ever did. So you have just this treasure trove of papers and they're still finding things because her, there's just so, there's just so much. Um, and, and Red Comet was interesting too, because it incorporates her calendars instead of just her journals. And so you get this kind of parallel take on what did she write in her journal and then what did she say happened that day in her calendar which creates some tension of the complexity of what she was going through emotionally and how she was maybe processing that at different times in the day or the short version versus the journal version and so with Jean Reese you know you have maybe some of that from some letters or from things she left behind but also there's so much absence so you're relying on secondary sources or something someone says someone said but maybe that isn't really what they said because they're like with memory like Christina was mentioning memory is slippery so I found it very fascinating I really recommend that you read it um, and also of course her fiction work so coming from that we go to a primary source which is Alan Rickman's diaries I had no idea Alan Rickman kept diaries is this the most wonderful news and I'm really (laughs) the only only critique I have of this because I did read them and Alan Rickman, I would say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you are upset they were published. But I can't say I would be sad if you haunted me for reading them because you were really cool. So as long as you don't like break things in my house, you feel free to be really mad at me. Um, they're called Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman. And I was really mad because one of the reviews pulled out this quote from the book. And I was like, oh, come on. This is a profound quote, I suppose. But really, and then I was reading it and I was like, oh, man. This really is one of the best ones. And the quote is, my selfishness when working takes my breath away. And I really love love that line. But anyway, the only thing I will critique is the book is text and there is a center section with photographs. But Alan Rickman was actually an excellent artist in his original diaries. He has all these watercolors and drawings and things and they're incredible. And so I I realized it would be probably a lot of publishing money to make a facsimile of them, but I, that's the only disappointment that I have is the one thing I will say about Sylvia Plath's under British journals is they do incorporate, like if she was doodling on the corner, oh, they do incorporate cool. that mm-hmm. on oh, some so of the pages. I think people want to see that. Yeah, and these, I mean, these are really 
fantastic. I mean, I was just blown away by the, the ones that they did include. Um, and I imagine that since they edited out certain sections, I mean, there's like millions of words, right, that he wrote. I imagine that too, they probably couldn't do that because it would have just been volumes upon volumes. But even like a little back section, um, I keep compl comparing it to Plath, but there have been a lot of really great publications of hers. Like the restored Ariel has facsimiles of her original drafts in the back. And it's just really interesting to see the process. Um, but anyways, I digress. So my only critique, there were drawings in the originals, a little bummed. But it was interesting because it is a primary source. Well, okay, it's a edited primary source. I'm sure they cut out some, right. some stuff. But it's interesting how your personality comes across in the diaries. Like, why did he keep diaries? Do we know? What was his thought process when keeping them? Was it more like a date book, like the calendar versus journal of Sylvia Plath, where the calendar is like a one line at times of like this thing happened as like an anchoring of your memory? Was he really trying to get something out of his system? Was he thinking a lot before he wrote them? You know, we don't know. And so I think that for me, that's kind of the question of biography, which is we have memoir, we have biography, and then we have where we put journals and diaries. And it's like, is a diary a form of autobiography? Or is it not? Like we have all these terms for things. What is more accurate, someone objectively viewing your life or you chronicling your life? Um, so I found it very fascinating. And I actually do recommend them. I will say that I think a lot of people went into the diaries expecting like he has a very sharp wit, which I appreciate. Um, I definitely thought it was wonderful. The witty aspect is wonderful in those diaries. Um, his personality comes across. You can hear him speaking, definitely what's in it. But it is definitely not, um, would salacious be the word? He is a very sharp, intelligent curator of his own life, oh. I would say. I would say he, Alan Rickman was not a man who suffered fools. That was what I got across <laughs> from the book. Um, but also like a very compassionate, I would say, yeah, a very, a very rare person, which I think Emma Thompson, who obviously was very close with Ellen Rickman, they were very good friends, she wrote the introduction, and that comes across, but I think after reading them, just ingesting them, saying I knew nothing, because I mean, in his films, he's acting. I was like, wow, this is a very wonderful, fascinating human, and aren't we lucky that he walked, <laughs> walked yeah. the earth? That was my impression. I really, I really enjoyed reading them, um, and also the, the fact that they do span their years when he became quite famous, and his um, self-awareness, I suppose, about that. It's a very sharp book. It's a very, mm. yeah, it's very sharp. And so, yeah. I can see that. I can yeah. just see it. Yeah. That so comes I, with no surprise. Yes, yeah. So I enjoy biography and autobiography and memoir. But I have to say, I do think that my favorite is reading someone's diaries. And it's not for everyone. Like, I mean, Sylvia Plath's letters are like two volumes, and there's so much there. But I think that the day-to-day -day things people do are just totally fascinating. Um, and kind of a primary source nerd. So... So yeah, those are my two. I used to live here once, The Haunted Life of Jean Reese by Miranda Seymour, and Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman. Oh, very nice. Huzzah! That's my season four finale. They so, both have really good covers too. I mean, I want to look as good as Alan Rickman looks on the cover of this book. And Jean <laughs> Reese is like, yeah, I'm mysterious. What do you need? <laughs> it's like a really good cover. Yeah. I like how Jen mentioned the... Um, something she's going to read next. What's up next for you? Oh, my up next pile. Darn it. Or like, like one thing that you're really looking forward to. And I can say so I have yours. one that I'm really looking forward to reading, hopefully over this winter break. Okay, you say yours first. <laughs> um, there's a new translation of Metamorphosis by mm -hmm. Ovid. And it came in and the, the cover's really gorgeous. It's like textile art that looks all knotted up and a little off. Um, so I'm very proud of myself post um, Books of Jacob, which was a thousand pages. I'm like, I looked at this. I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. Oh, jeez. It's like a brick, you know, <laughs> like in all these textbooks and stuff. I'm reading these really big books this year. So I feel like my stamina's up for long, long books. So I'm really excited. I'm like, oh, my goodness, am I really going to tackle this? I hope so. I think so. I'm, I'm to going it. to read Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. Oh. Finally. You have no idea, guys, how many times I've checked this book out. It's so sad. And then inevitably I get distracted. So nope, this is going to be the year. This is the year. I can't hit the table. It will reverberate in the mic. But 
this is the year. Nice. And I'm going to read, because I told myself I'm not allowed to read her new one until I read her old books. Okay. This is sort of like why I've never watched Game of Thrones, because I have very good intentions. Or Outlander. I have such good intentions. You know what? Maybe that will also be on my bucket list. By next season, I will report back. I will have read at least the first Outlander, which I have started, and it's wonderful. Why have I never finished it? I don't know. And I always stop reading right when something, like, really frightening or violent is going to happen. Not because I'm, like, afraid of it, but, I mean, I, I give up, like, when something epic is going on. Who does that? You think you would give up because it's boring? I really like, give up. Okay, it's good. too much. I, I feel anxious. Less. I get all I feel my anxiety bad. level goes through the roof, and I'm like, ah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this will be a Outlander, Life After Life, end of year fest for me fun and there will be some sort of punishment involved if I don't like I'm not allowed to sit here and drink coffee during the podcast I'll have to drink water that will be my punishment <laughs> water and bread water and bread oh, but I like bread yeah. oh, well. stale bread stale bread stale, stale bread <laughs> I've been watching um secluded cabin sleep six that keeps oh, coming yeah. across the desk yes. I want to read that one nice secluded cabin that That's one looks good, good. I'm in this kick because of um, the guest list and oh yeah suspense you know, and some more yeah kick. I'm just in this really like cabin in the I don't know I'm just in, I'm just in this <laughs> hellish holiday quick kick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow I didn't realize I was there but I, I guess I'm in a hellish holiday hellish holiday vacation <laughs> mode anything else you've seen come across the desk I have so many I'm like well, that Saving Main Street that came in looks so good. Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'll have to read that when you're done. <laughs> I want to read the tarot one. Okay. That's on my list. That is really fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I definitely recommend Tarot for Change. There's just been so much great stuff coming in. And I guess I, oh, I, guess I should PR it a little bit. Because I can't remember if I mentioned this last time, the poetry. We are, yes. yeah, reminder, if I've already told you. I don't think so. We have... Um, an amazing person in collection development who stopped by and we were talking about poetry. And so they are rotating in a huge collection of 2021 releases and we have them on display right now in the library and I highly recommend them. Even if you're not a poetry person, I highly recommend them because they have amazing covers and also there's really something in there for everybody. Some of it is very traditional. Some of it is for younger audiences. I mean, it's just a really, really great eclectic collection. So come check it out for sure. Haha, <laughs> come check it out. Library books. <laughs> yeah, there's some really, really great picks in there. Yeah, it was so very much a struggle. They came in and I was like, they are for patrons, not you. You may not check them out. I know, that's why I keep telling myself that too. I'm like, go check them out. Pick it up, read something, put it back down. This is so sad. I don't want to let it go. I know. I just want to keep talking books. So until next time, Richfield Branch Library is a branch of the Akron Summit County Public Library. Our theme music is Examples by Ketza. It's made available to us through a Creative Commons license on the free music archive. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year.